Welcome back to the Apostles Mailbox, where this week we are building up the Bride of Christ with the worst sales pitch ever. That's right, I said the worst sales pitch ever, uh, but in all honesty, it's not really a sales pitch, but rather a discussion of a, a cost to something. Last week, we talked about the gospel, the good news that we're enemies of God, that we're naturally opposed to his rightful authority in our life, and we all live that way, and as enemies of God, we're deserving of punishment, but God didn't want us to remain his enemies, and so he made a way for us to be reconciled, to be made right with him, to be restored into relationship with him, the one who created us. And he did this through paying the cost of our sin in his son, Jesus Christ. And so when he did this, he, he invited us not to, to church things and events and whatever and, and, and human organizations, but he invited us into a relationship with himself. And that's really the, the greatest news ever is not that we could be a part of like the best club, uh, but that we could know the God of the universe eternal and boundless in love. And so this week, we're going to talk a little bit, though, uh, that relationship. And in order for it to function properly, we don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. But it does come with a rather steep cost. And so uh, we're going to talk about that cost this week. And that might help explain, actually, why if you're having trouble with your uh, with your Christianity, if, if in some way you feel like it maybe isn't just like working right or, or if you expected more, uh, it could be um, that you're trying to get uh, something without being willing to give uh, the cost required to receive that. And so we're going we're gonna to flesh this out a little bit together here in a minute. I wanted to start with a quote, actually, uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Bonhoeffer said uh, in uh, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, um, when Christ calls a man, he calls him, he bids him to come and die. Now, Bonhoeffer didn't make up the idea. He knew it uh, because Jesus said it first in Scripture, and, and Jesus put it this way. He said to them all, uh, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Elsewhere, Jesus talked about this idea of a, of a man who, who sets out to build a tower and he doesn't do the math ahead of time and he doesn't have enough money to finish building the tower, actually, and, and he's revealed to be a fool before all the world because he sets out to do something uh, without the cost. And unfortunately, I think sometimes when, when Christians present the good news of Jesus Christ, we present it as if, look, uh, you come to Christ, you believe in him, and then all your dreams are going to come true, and, and everything that you that you want will be yours, and, and you know, take all your dreams, and God will just fulfill them for you, and, it, and, uh, and so Jesus is this, like, shortcut, like this fad diet. You know, you want to be uh, you want to be healthy and and skinny? Just take these three pills, you know, five times a day, and and uh, and so 
without a proper understanding of what is being offered in Christ, we sort of jump in thinking like, ah, this is the ticket. You know, I thought I was going to have to work hard or whatever. And it turns out I can just pray this prayer and all my dreams will come true. But that's not what the Bible presents as the promise of a relationship with the living God. And so uh, here's, here's how Jesus puts it. He says, look, if you're going to come after me, right, of course, you're going to find the rest that he promised. But here's what, here's what you need to do. He said, let him deny himself. Right, so, so step one is, step one really of the process is say, if you want to have my life, you're going to have to let go of your life. Uh, if you want to have something different, you're going to have to actually get something different. And to have that different life means you're going to have to let go of the old one. And, and so the invitation, if you will, to come in Christ is really an invitation to recognize like the old life that I've had, it's death. I can't keep the old habits and have the new outcome. I need, I need to be made wholly new. So if you want to be healthy, if you want to have the, the physique of a marathoner, like you're going to have to train like a marathoner. You're going to have to eat like a marathoner. You can't sit on the, on the couch and eat Doritos all day and, and then just take a magic pill and instantly have like healthy heart and lungs and be able to run six-minute miles or, or something like that. And so um, if, if you want a new life, like God will give it to you, but it's going to cost letting go of the old life. And so Jesus says you have to deny yourself first of all. If, if Jesus is going to be Lord, that is the master, the boss, the one who gets to call the shots, then you have to stop being the master, the boss, the one who calls the shots. And then he says we have to take up his cross daily, right? So, so when we look at this, um, you, you realize that, that to take up your cross daily is, is a phrase that sounds familiar to us because we know that Jesus died on a cross. But when Jesus says this, he hasn't yet gone to the cross He's talking to his disciples who are like, wait, what is this talk of crosses, maybe? What was a cross to the Jews in that day? Well, what the cross was, it was, it was a symbol of Roman authority and, honestly, oppression. The Roman Empire was a massive undertaking, and it was held together by good roads and big armies, effective fighting units, and it was held together by uh, bribery in some ways. Uh, the, Rome would, would pay very well the regional governors in order to maintain things in their region. Uh, so the right money greased the right palms to help maintain stability, but also there was this incredible threat of fear. And the, and the Rome the Roman Empire wanted you to know, like, if you cross us, you are going to die a miserable death. And so they invented crucifixion. It was a it was a humiliating process. They would they would strip you down naked, and then they would they would nail you to these boards, and then they hang you out in the sun until you you basically suffocated to death in this excruciating, painful way. And it would take sometimes days for you to die. Uh, in, in full exposure of the whole world. And uh, one of the ways that Rome increased the humiliation effect, if you will, is that they would make you carry your own cross to the, to the point of crucifixion, as if they're going to say, you know, we're going to put you to death uh, in a terribly horrible way, and you can't stop it. And further, furthermore, we're going to make you carry the tools for it. And so they did this. It was, it was a uh, an incredibly brutal and meaningful, you know, purposefully so, 
uh, an incredible, uh, brut brutal way to kill people. And um, at one point, actually, there was a rebellion that was put down. 6,000 people were crucified and they were, they were uh, aligned. Uh, they were crucified along a, a stretch of road, of one of the Roman roads, and uh, as if to say, like, don't mess with Rome. We will mess with you far worse. And so and Jesus and his disciples lived in, in Israel as it's occupied by Rome. It's under Roman rule. And Jesus says, if you want to come with me, you're going to have to carry your own, you're going to have to carry your own cross, right? You're going to have to pick that up. And, and it's going to happen, as he say, it's going to happen every day, right? Take up your cross daily and follow me. And, and so, um, Jesus wants them to know that that to be a disciple of him is going to be an instrument, if you will, of their of their humiliation and of their death. To be a follower of Christ requires that Christ has a, has total say in your life. He is the one who gets to call the shots. And this is a it's a really <laughs> in some ways it's a really hard decision to come to. Right to say, okay, I'm going to let go of of my of my rights, and I'm going to I'm going to sign them over to Jesus. And when I do that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do things that look sort of humiliating uh, before the world. I'm going to do things that the world says don't make any sense, and um, and I, I'm I'm willing uh, to be humiliated and to die in order to have Christ. Now, is there any price that is too great to be paid in order to have God himself, to have the living God who created you and who calls you by name and who loves you and who delights in showing glory and honor? There's, there's no price uh, too great to pay for that. And yet the, the journey uh, to walking in that way is a journey of surrender and death. And you, you know, if the, the way that we got here, right, the way that we got to to being God's enemy is that we rejected his rule to begin with. So it's not like we're we're forging sort of new territory where we're being asked to do something that we were never required to do before. Uh, the reality is we belong to God just by the very nature of our being uh, from day one. We just rejected that. And so to be restored to God is also to be restored to his rightful rule over us in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, hey, look, if you're going to come back to God, you're going to have to go back to his rule in your life. And then he, and then he looks at it and he says, look, because if you want to, here's your choice. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to hold on to what you got, you're going to lose your life. But if you're going to lose your life on purpose for my sake, you will save it. Jesus wants us to know that uh, you got two choices. You can hold on to what you got and you're going to lose it, or you can lose it and you will find indeed that you have saved your life. Uh, if you want to remain, um, let's say you're unhealthy, the doctor might look at you and say, you know what, if you want to keep your lifestyle, if you want to keep your dietary habits, you can hold on to those for a little while, but it's going to kill you. You're going to have a heart attack, you know, 
You're going to die early. He says, but if you'll let go of that, if you will lose your, your lifestyle, if you will eat better and if you will exercise more and, and if you'll spend less time staring at a TV screen uh, and more time moving around, then you're actually going to save your life. You're going to gain something better. And Jesus says, you have this life now that, that you're living that's full of all the ingredients for death, right? Your selfishness, it destroys relationships. Your pride, it destroys relationships. Your greed, it's destroying the relationships that you were designed for. Your lust, it's destroying your relationships. And so if you want to hold on to those things, uh, you can hold on to those things, but you are going to lose your life. And on the flip side, if you will let go of those things that define your life right now, if you will, if you will, if you will let it go, you will find that you have actually saved your life. And, and he looks at it again. And he says, in in sort of summary, if you will, he says, "What is it going to profit you? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses?" Or forfeits himself. What good does it do if you have all of the money in the world and yet you yourself are lost for all eternity as God's enemy? It's going to gain you nothing. You spend your whole life in this rat race to get ahead and, and you're, you're trying to get ahead of what? There's this elusive idea just right around the next corner. The, all of these things that have been so dissatisfying before, they're finally going to satisfy me. I ate, you know, I ate one Oreo before and, and it didn't satisfy me, so I'm going to try another one. And I ate the second one and that didn't satisfy me, but but I thought like, well, maybe if I eat three or four more, right? And pretty soon you've, you've eaten through a whole row of Oreos and you think, well, maybe I better start on the second row because, you know, after I'm done with the second row, I'll really truly be satisfied. But you get to the end, of course, and you're sick. And, and countless people have tried rows and rows and rows and rows of Oreos or, or drugs or relationships or, or schemes or whatever, uh, in this pursuit of satisfaction, of happiness, of life, and they find at the end that they've lost themselves. And they look in the mirror and they what they see is a person who's truly detestable and warped and full of death rather than a person full of life. And Jesus says, don't hold on to your life. Even if you were to possess the whole world, it would be better to let it go and have my life. Because something is coming right? It's not just that this life that we have to worry about. Because there is a day, he said, that the Son of Man is going to return, and whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, whoever won't deny himself, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, whoever won't acknowledge Jesus and his rightful authority, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." So Jesus someday is, is going to return in his glory to rule and reign over everything. And all of the people who denied him in this life will be denied by him in the kingdom. And that is going to be a terrible, terrible, terrible day for many who have spent this life pursuing death, finding it, trying to hold on to their life as they 
think it is going to bring satisfaction and finding death. And they're going to discover that they have terribly, wrongly evaluated all that is and that exists. They will be uh, cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, as the scriptures say. So as we consider this question, we look at this and we say, why did you come to Christ? Some of us, I, th I think we're, we're sold a false gospel. We're taught uh, in some churches, uh, lamentably, people are taught that if you come to Jesus, he's just like this, the shortcut, the diet pill, the, the secret trick to getting your way. Uh, to be to be truly Lord of everything, to be master over everything. And, and the reality is, is that Jesus doesn't call us in order to make us Lord, but to call us back to a relationship in which he is rightful Lord and we are joyfully um, subject to his authority. We might have come uh, to Jesus not to find a new life because the old one was bringing us death, as it always does. Uh, but we might have come to Christ thinking that if we came to Christ, we could keep our life and that Jesus would just somehow magically make the old life that didn't work well before into a, into a new life or, or into a good life. Or did we come to say, like, the things I've been using, they, they weren't working and if your, if your relationship with Jesus Christ is futile and, and it seems hopeless and powerless, my guess is it's because what you're trying to do is you're trying to put a Jesus label on the self-centered life, that you're still Lord of your own life and you're, you're trying to invite Jesus in as sort of an upgrade to being the master of your own universe. But Jesus doesn't work that way. When he calls you to come back to God, he calls you to come back into submission to God. And God, of course, has made every way for you to be restored and, and, and made right and, and blessed and not uh, punished for your sin. Uh, but nonetheless, there is only one way to properly exist with God, and that is to recognize that he is God and we are not. And it's to be subject to his authority, and it's to live according to his character and his way. And for that to function, you have to let the old self go. You have to let the selfishness and the lust and the pride and the bitterness and the unforgiveness, you have to let them go. And today, if you're a believer and, and your life just doesn't seem to be working right, if Christianity just seems so hopeless and helpless, it's probably because you have a, a false view of what it means to belong to Christ and that you still really, in most regards, rely upon yourself. And how do I know that? Well, here's how I know that. Romans 8 says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds in the things of the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So the way the Bible talks about our relationship with God in, in the book of Romans is to say that when we are united to Christ, what happens is the old us, 
the flesh, it dies. And, and this is the reason, actually, that we use baptism as a sign of becoming a Christian, because it is a picture of death and of new life. Uh, in some ways, I think maybe this is the reason that many evangelicals take baptism very casually, and they, they think it's maybe like this optional thing, is because we don't recognize the significance of dying to self, of this needing of the old life to be put away and us to have a new life. And so, baptism is this, this identification of us that when Jesus died, the old me died, and it's history, it's dead and gone, and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself to me, that, that, that God has given us new life, and he has put his Holy Spirit in us. And so, uh, Romans 8 tells us that if you're a child of God, if you're in Christ, that the Spirit of Christ lives in you. But then he says, if you go on living according to the flesh— then you will find death coming out of that. And if you go on living according to the Spirit, you will find life and peace, right? And the way this happens is that if you're going to set your mind on the things of the flesh, you're going to live according to the flesh. And if you're going to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you're going to live according to the Spirit. And then the outcome of those, as we already pointed out here, is to set the mind on the flesh is death, and to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So I ask you this question, do you want life and peace, or do you want death? And the answer is, when you come to Christ, he puts his spirit in you, but then you got a choice. You can set your mind on the things of the flesh. So, what do we do? We set our minds on the things of the flesh. We, we want to look at the same things that the world looks at, the things that entice our greed and our covetousness, the things that inflame our lust and our desire, the things that, that make everything about me. What do we want to listen to on, on TED Talks is people who say, you're good and smart and strong and wonderful and, you know, don't ever let anybody tell you anything otherwise and you can do this and you're wonderful and you should just have everything that you ever wanted and, and all these messages we play in our head and we set our minds on the things of the flesh, which are desired, they're, they're designed to really cause us to satisfy our own desires at the expense of everybody else. To do that is to destroy relationships. You can't, you, can't, you can't look at God and say, you know what, God, I want a good relationship with my wife, uh, but I'm still going to keep abusing her. Right? You can't have a good relationship with somebody you're abusing. God says, stop abusing her. And you say, well, I didn't sign up for that. I just want you to bless my marriage. Well, how can I bless your marriage when you're destroying it every single day? Right? So the flesh has to go away. And the Spirit has to take the place. Well, what does the Spirit cause us to do? To, to operate in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. The Spirit loves to generosity, to giving away, not to taking more. Right? The Spirit uh, calls us to forgive, not to hold bitterness and resentment and demand repayment. And so the Spirit would, would lead us into this transformation if we would only set our minds always on those things, but instead what we do is we set our minds on all these other things, right? So if, if you, you know, and let's say you spend an hour 
or two hours or three hours a day watching TV shows or something that's come out of Hollywood or playing video games or or even scrolling your Facebook feed. Like 99% of that stuff is, is aimed at the desires of the flesh. Almost all of it. Almost all of it. And so you set your mind on that day after day after day after day. And then what do you do? You live according to that. And you go to work and all you can think about is like, I'm going to stack that paper, right? So that I can that I can buy this thing or that experience, that I can have this. You know, and, you, and you, you're just consumed by the things of the world and the flesh. And that's what drives you and that's what motivates you. And you wonder why you like spiritually or you're feeling off or something, the, the Jesus thing just doesn't seem to be working, is, is because your mind is still on the old way. It's still on the flesh. And out of that flesh, when you put your mind on the flesh, that's what you're going to live and that's what you're going to reap. And if you let that part of you die, you know, if you let the part of you that that die, that would gratify all the desires of the sinful nature, and if you set your mind on the Spirit, day after day after day, if you spend time memorizing scripture and meditating on it, if you talk with your friends about God's goodness and share the things that he has been working on in your life, if, if you will set your mind on things like forgiveness and, and releasing others of their obligations towards you and not holding things against each other and, and, tr- and turning the other cheek and, and speaking with kindness and grace and, and patience and love, if you will set your mind on true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy things, if you will do that, then the Spirit will bring up this fruit of life and peace. If you will spend your time in thanksgiving rather than in and griping about all the things that you want and don't have, then you will be transformed. And so the call today, church, the call to life is a call to let the old ways die. It's a call to let the old dreams and cravings and desires die, to kick them into the grave with your baptism and to say, Jesus, give me a brand new life. Trade it all out. Take all those things, Father, that I used to love and treasure and want and dream of and think would satisfy me, and would you replace them with a list of all the things that you love and desire and want for me? And would you make me the kind of person who is always thinking about things of the Spirit? Because when I do that, I know that I have traded the old life, which is dead and buried, paid for by the blood of Christ, and I have embraced the new life, which bears a new and lasting and eternal and good fruit. And so, church, if we're to be healthy, brothers and sisters, if we're to be healthy, and especially when surrounded by a materialistic, self-promoting, self-loving, self-centered society, like if we're to have new life and full life, it means we're going to have to take up daily the the, the words and the love and the example and the command of Christ. We're going to have to take up daily that instrument of our looking foolish to the world and our own dying to self. And we're going to walk in his footsteps and he is going to give us life, the likes of which you never imagined. Because if you keep trying to win the world's games, if you keep trying to get to the top of the leaderboard in the world's categories of 
uh, indulging the flesh and the appetites of this world, you're going to end up with nothing but a crop full of death. Don't fall for the trap. Walk into the life. God bless you. Praying that uh, God's Spirit will cause this word to fall on fertile soil and that you would be willing today, even now, uh, to get down on your knees before God and say, I surrender my life. Would you take it and give me your life in Jesus Christ? God bless you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you.